Well, good morning, and thank you, ladies, for that wonderful piece that you just played for us to continue to welcome us into worship and uh, to help us prepare for what God is going to say to us today. And I hope that you are in an expectant mood to say, God, uh, you've brought me here for a purpose and a reason, and I want to hear from you. I want you to come with your arms out and your hands open to say, Lord, speak to me. Uh, I've taken some time out to identify myself today as a follower of Christ, to make that stand, to be here. And I pray during this time that God will strengthen you on a deep, deep level today, that you'll leave here stronger than you were before, that God will inspire you while you're here to go out and do things and say things and carry the gospel out from this place. It's why we gather together, right? We gather together to go out. Uh, I've, been way, I've been saving this uh, for my next time to preach, but uh, if you ever sit near folks who have children, and you watch them during the worship service prior to the kids leaving, you know, they're in parent mode, and they're just kind of tense, and they're just kind of being mom and dad. And as soon as the kids leave, there's this muscle relaxer that just takes over. And parents just go, oh, man, this is great. This is my time. Right, dad? Right, mom? Yes, this is your time. All right, kids are well taken care of. Some of the kids are over here eating Smarties the whole time. They are hyped up on sugar. So I feel bad for whoever's in charge of them today. They're going to have their hands full. Whoever gave those kids Smarties, come on, what are you doing? All right? <laughs> They're going to have a great, great time together. Uh, I do want to say hey to uh, Lynn Ergel. Hey, Lynn, we're praying for you at this time. God be with you. God restore you. May his presence be a healing presence in your life. God bless y'all for being here today. I want to ask you a, uh, a hard question, and that question today is, would you give your life for someone else? It's a hard question to ask because I say for family, absolutely, I would give my life for my family. Uh, for my friends, yes, I would give my life for my friends, but beyond that, it's hard to say who you may give your life for beyond those folks. Your life is precious. Your, your life, you only have one of those, and, uh, and, and to be asked to give that up is a very tough question to ask yourself. A lot of times folks give their life up uh, not on purpose. It's on accident. It's trying to do something good to save a life or to help, and they lose their life in the process. And for folks like that, we have the greatest honor. You may recall, we've got some pictures here. You may recall from the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks, a man by the name of Richard Rescorla, who was instrumental in the evacuation of thousands during the attacks. Richard was the director of security at Morgan Stanley. He was a stickler for his building's safety and held twice a year evacuation drills to get folks out. When the attacks happened and the tower next to Richard's was hit, he put his plan into action, and he calmly instructed people to leave right up until the moment he was killed. Rescorla's actions were considered instrumental in the successful evacuation of over 2,500 people. Maybe you've heard stories like Congressional Medal of Honor recipient First Lieutenant John Robert Fox, who was directing artillery fire in an Italian town to stall a German advance. While Fox was directing fire, a large German force moved in on his position. Realizing that this force was a huge threat to his men, Fox called a final artillery strike on himself. 
When his men eventually took the position, Fox's body was found next to approximately 100 dead German troops, and a medal was placed neatly on his chest. What do we do with men like this? We honor them, we give them medals, we create plaques, we remember them for what they did. It's hard to say any more about a person's life when they give their life for someone else. Times like these are desperate times. It's not unheard of for someone to step up in a desperate time and sacrifice their life. Hebrews tells us about Jesus, that he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. When we come to Jesus Christ, do we approach him like we do, God bless him, Richard Rescorla on 9-11? When we come to Christ, do we approach him like we do, God bless him, Lieutenant John Robert Fox? Do we come to Christ with our jaw dropped and say, what else can I say but that is an amazing sacrifice? The sacrifice of Christ should get our attention because nothing moves us more. Nothing causes us more shock to say, what? Someone died for someone else and Christ died for me. I have nothing else to say. I'm in utter amazement that God will put into process a plan through his son. And God established a rescue mission for us and it wasn't plan B. It wasn't in reaction to our sin. Jesus was always plan A. He was planned before we fell because God knows us and God loves us. Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, there's no greater love than one who lays down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, you are my friends. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, he says, I come to lay my life down as a ransom for many. Again, in John chapter 10, verse 18, very, very powerful statement. Jesus says, I lay my life down voluntarily. No one can take it from me. I freely give it. This is Jesus Christ. I'm in amazement. God has gotten my attention with the death of Jesus Christ. Why did Christ have to come? Why did Christ have to die? He died for us because you and I are far from God. We are separated from God. There is nothing that you've done or I've done that has placed me in a favorable stance better than someone else before God. Your sin and my sin were willful sin. We did those sins, we chose those sins, we chose the separation. God's holiness is a thing that we marvel at and admire and at the same time we're jealous of. We're jealous that he's perfect and sinless. We're jealous that he is better than us. 
our sin separated us from God. And that was willful sin. It's no one else's fault. My sin's my fault. Your sin is your fault. And that separation is too far for us to get back. You can't walk back on your own and say, all right, God, let's get this thing straight. What do I got to do here? God's going to say, you can't do anything to rectify this separation. It's a spiritual separation. It's on a level inside of you that you cannot repair. The Bible says we're dead in our trespasses. The Bible says that we are separated 100% fully from him. And so there's no repair plan I can't bring to him and begin to say I'm sorry in some kind of way where I can work it. Being here today, God bless us all, does not get us into heaven. We can't check the box and say we're here. That gets me some points. There's no point system with our Lord. You know why? Because that's too hard. It's too hard. God says if there was a system, he knows us. We wouldn't be able to stick to that system anyway. Hurts God's heart, the separation, our separation, our walking away, hurts God's heart in this way. You and I, we're his prized creation. We're his prized creation. He loves us more than anything in the whole wide world. We love nature, and we choose nature for our screensavers on our computers and phones, and nature's beautiful. And I love animals, and we love animals. Animals are beautiful. Those are creations from God. Nature's creation from God. But then, yet we come to each other, and we treat each other so bad, but yet we're God's prized creation. We're more valuable than the Grand Canyon and Niagara Falls, and we're more valuable than the animals to God. We're his prize. So this separation was one that, that caused God grief. And God came to get us back. God came to rescue us. Amen? I need rescuing. You need rescuing. And we could not do it on our own and praise him. He sends Jesus Christ as our rescuer. And when Jesus rescues us, here's the thing. We like to stop at sin and attack sin like crazy. And, and it's okay to do that. It's okay to point out right and wrong and to say that's a sin, that's not a sin. But y'all, sin is a symptom of the separation, right? Sin is, is that's not the, the, the root. The problem is the separation from God. And God says, by my will and my power and my authority, I can forgive sin. That's not a hard task for God to do. Those are symptoms of a greater problem, and that's the separation from him. And God says the death of Christ is meant to get our attention, to see how much he loves us. There may have been ten other ways to maybe do this, but the best way, the only way, was to come in the form of us and to do the greatest thing that we would consider the greatest sacrifice of ever, to give the only thing you have to give, which is your life, and to give your life. And he says, that's it. It's final. And that has to get your attention. And we have to always remember this and not forget this. 
The separation was caused by us, but God has fixed the separation through his son, Jesus Christ. That brings us today to the Lord's Supper, which is not a ritual. It's not a ritual. It's a remembrance. Sometimes we, as believers, we, we forget that we're not religious people, that we're born again and we're free. And we sometimes forget there's the institution of the church versus the body of Christ, and we're the body of Christ. The Lord's Supper is not a ritual. It's a remembrance. The Lord's Supper is like when we stand at school and at sporting events to give the Pledge of Allegiance, to remember what the country went through and those who died to give us what we have. And so at the Lord's Supper, we come to it, and, and there are some recommendations from the Lord as we approach the Lord's Supper. There's some preparation we must do. In a moment, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper together. And I want this to be memorable for you, and the Lord wants this to be memorable for you, to be a thing that you do that impacts your spirit. And so he set up some things to help us accomplish that today. Do this in remembrance of me. What we're not remembering is the historical fact that Jesus died, because we know that's a fact. And there are tons of volumes, there are tons of historians that will tell you Jesus Christ died on this day at this time, very, very well documented. So we're not going to defend that or remember the day of his death, the actual he died, because it doesn't take faith to know that. It doesn't take faith to know that, that he died, that he's real. It takes faith for us to remember this. We're not saved on our own. Nothing I can do saves me. We love to try to take even like the smallest credit from the Lord for our salvation, right? Now, having, I've said this, okay, I've said this. At age 15, I found the Lord and, and I gave my life to Christ. Okay, so who was the one lost? Was the Lord lost and I had to find him? No, I was the one that was lost, right? I didn't find the Lord. Then the Lord found me. I was lost, Right? We tend to say, well, I came down front and I did this and I did that. And we try to like grasp some kind of small possession of your salvation and say, well, I did this. Well, you know, y'all, we do nothing. It is by God's grace and his redeeming love and his provision of Christ that sets up everything we need for salvation. So we remember the fact that I would not be here without him. I wouldn't be here without the death of Christ that healed the separation. And God provides this bridge back to himself. And so I, I accept that and I give my entire life to Jesus. And in that is the confession of my sins. In that is the confession of my need for him, absolutely. But to boil it down, you lay your entire life on him. And you say, I will follow you. I will trust you. I will obey your word. I will do what you say. You're my Savior, my Lord. That is salvation, recognizing who he is. So we remember today in Lord's Supper, we remember today we did absolutely nothing. All we gave to the situation was the penalty and the sin. That's what we gave to the situation. We gave the damaging part to that. 
And God comes and brings in the healing part to that. So whatever position we are at home or at work or at school, we have a lot of responsibilities in life. Um, we come to God and we have none but to say, please save me and I will live for you. This is what we remember today. There's some advice from 1 Corinthians I want to share with us. Can you read that? I'll read it to you, small font, I apologize. In preparing for the Lord's Supper, Paul taught the church in 1 Corinthians some things to do that apply to us. The first thing Paul says is, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner is guilty of sinning. Some versions may say in a disrespectful manner, or they may say drink the cup in a worthy manner. What's a worthy and respectful manner to approach the bread and the cup today? Still here. The way you do that is we don't play around with it. We don't make jokes about it. We don't act like the cup is a shot glass, okay? We don't complain about the taste of the wafer. You know, we just, you know, we have ways where we play around with Lord's Supper. And he's just saying, don't do this in a disrespectful way, but a worthy way. Because we're on the brink of sin. If I take it the wrong way at a moment of remembering and, and worship, I'm on the brink of sin. And Lord, help me, if I'm on the brink of sin, I want to march way back from that line and not go anywhere near that. And so if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't believe in him, let it pass. Just let it pass. It's a special remembrance for followers. Maybe today this is a transformational moment for you. And before you came in, you were like, man, I, I, I'm not a believer. But, but I think God's at work in my heart now, even in the last 15 to 20 minutes. And that bread and that cup come before you, and you're all of a sudden for the first time recognizing the body that was, that was killed, the blood that was shed, and you're recognizing that now? Take communion. Take the Lord's Supper. It's a way of recognizing what happened and remembering what happened on a spiritual level. So you have to know where you're at spiritually. So when you take it, you're taking it in the correct way. Secondly, Paul says this, a person ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Examine yourself. In the biblical language, examining self is meant to bring out confession of sin. Uh, it's meant to bring out parts of your life that are not holy and that need work. And if you just say, God, search me and know me and try my heart, lead me in the way everlasting, reveal in me sinful, selfish ways. And so you have to examine yourself before taking the cup and the bread. It's a time to confess sin to the Lord. Take advantage of this time to confess sin to the Lord. Take advantage of it. We don't do it enough. Examine how you've treated your spouse or your children this week. Examine how you've used your, your time. Examine how you have, have viewed someone else, maybe, this week. But examine yourself before you take it. See, God uses this. God uses this as a refining process. It's so much more than just a little ritual. It's a refining process that he uses for you 
to come in one way and to leave another way, to leave closer to him. So please take some time to say, I'm sorry. Please take some time to say, God, I shouldn't have done that. You didn't die and save me for me to act like I did this time or this week or against this person. So take some time to examine yourself. It's worth it. I do it every time. Every time I do it, it is so, so worth it. And lastly, he says, when you come together, wait for each other. This is beautiful. Oh, my goodness, this is beautiful. I just kind of camped out here for a while. When you come together to take the Lord's Supper, as we're going to do, wait for each other. You feel this sense of consideration. You feel this sense of togetherness. You feel this sense of we're doing this together. It's a very personal moment, but done on a public platform. And so on the public platform, we do this together. So can you imagine an entire church moving away from sin, examining yourself to be more like Christ, and then being considered of each other in that moment. Can you imagine that's going to happen and what God will do with us and in us when the whole church does that? that are, that's things that just kind of make you go, wow, I have no idea what to expect. So when you come together, just wait for each other. Specifically, the early parts of this passage talked about disrupting fellowship, uh, causing divisions in the church. There were folks that came together and said, okay, um, those of us who are rich are going to eat over here. Those of us who are poor are going to eat over here. And they kind of caused divisions with Lord's Supper. And some folks got the better food and some folks didn't get as much food. And he's saying that's division in the church. Come together and, and wait for each other and share what you have. And so the bigger picture of this passage says that we all must personally be in step with the Spirit, not out of step. We can't just single ourselves out and demand our way. We can't disrupt fellowship. The supper is supposed to unify us. Attitudes that may be present in the room of anger or disruption, those need to be confessed. Um, attitudes in the room that may be negative or judgmental, those need to be confessed. Uh, this is our chance to do that together. There's been times I've seen folks person to person before the Lord's Supper confess and repent to each other in the congregation before it happened because they had wronged each other. So wait for each other and be considerate of each other as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. Let's pray together. Lord God, you are gracious and you are kind all the time. God, you're kind enough to give us at times, step-by-step -step instructions in how to be stronger and more faithful. And God, we come before you now, and, and Lord, we confess we need you. We confess that we are lost without you. Lord, we confess that you have completely saved us, and that is all your doing. It's a gracious gift. And God, you fill us with your spirit now. Father, I pray for individuals to receive clearer vision who you are. Lord, clearer direction in decisions they have to make. God, clearer paths that are free from sin. 
clearer blessings for our families. Our needs are overwhelming. But God, you can shoulder all of those. So God, now help us to remember. We need your help to remember, Lord, to make this more than what we see, to make it go very, very deep inside. Lord, we love you. We have only that to say. Help us to love each other, to love you more. We pray this in your name.